0: The Culture Guy Podcast, the December episode, getting close to the holidays. holidays may actually be over by the time you're listening. But just know, we're recording this during the period of Advent, heading up to the Christmas holidays, or Hanukkah, or Kwanzaa. Welcome back everybody, my name is Christian Höveler, also known as The Culture Guy, and you're listening to The Culture Guy Podcast, the show dedicated to all of you who are passionate about cultures and how culture influences everything we do, the way we talk, the way we listen, the way we act or react, the way we feel, and the way we see the world. This is a program and a place for you to connect and engage with people from around the world and around the interwebs, people who care about cultural understanding, care about making meaningful global connections, and care about fostering diversity. So welcome back everybody, this is the December episode, the first of them.
1: Cares, hate men,
0: and today I have a guest from Germany for you. Oh, well, actually she is from the United States, but she now lives in Germany. So we're, we're crossing the pond, we're crossing the Atlantic once again on this podcast. Uh, today I will share my conversation I had with Jerry Weber, or Weber, as we will find out. We'll, we'll figure out whether we pronounce her name right or wrong. And she lives in Frankfurt and she is an attorney by trade. And how that makes her a cross cultural expert, she will explain to us. Her company is called Cultural Crossing and it's spelled with an X, so it's cultural Xing, if you will. Um, we'll post the links to her so you can find her. And I don't want to uh, let you wait too long. Here is my conversation with Jerry. And here we are today with Miss Jerry Weber, and I'm pronouncing her name German because I'm assuming it is. Jerry, welcome to the Culture Guy podcast.
1: Hi, Christian. I'm happy to be here. Thank you for having me.
0: So, Weber, am I saying it right because I'm saying it in German, or is it actually Weber?
1: Ironically enough, it's actually Weber. It's my maiden name, and I uh, never knew it was Weber until I moved to Germany.
0: And so th- we clarified that you are originally. Not from Germany, yet you have a German-sounding last name, and you're from the Midwest, right? Where in the United States are you from?
1: Um, I grew up in St. Louis, Missouri, so in the very center. Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah, as as you mentioned, I I currently actually live in Frankfurt, Germany.
0: And you are married to a German, you told me earlier, so that makes you a perfect German-American for this German-American podcast host.
1: It sounds like it is. I think we have a lot in common on that front, Christian.
0: Well, we haven't met each other yet in person. I found you online, mainly on LinkedIn, because you do something similar Um, to what I do, you're in my wheelhouse, if you will. However, you work in the intercultural field mainly with the legal profession. Would you care to explain in two or three sentences to our audience how you work in the cross-cultural field mainly with attorneys and lawyers?
1: Sure, I'd be happy to. Um, I, first of all, am a a US-trained lawyer and worked first as a lawyer originally, both in the US and then in the US office uh, um, or the German office of a US firm I my focus is on um, lawyers work across culture uh, almost regularly and have been doing this for a very long time this is not new but we don't learn during our legal education uh, whether you're being educated in Europe or in the US or in any country that I've spoken to people from at the moment we don't learn about intercultural communication and we don't really learn about how um, the laws can be very different in different places. So um, my goal is to train and work with lawyers to raise their awareness about the role that culture plays in how we negotiate, in um, how we draft contracts, in how we interact with clients and colleagues around the world, because it does affect our practice. Mm -hmm.
0: What are some um, some of the prototypical mistakes that attorneys make when they deal with international clients or when they're in negotiation situations where they actually deal with foreign cultures? What are some of the biggest mistakes you've seen happen?
1: Well, one thing I would say is um, they definitely need to not only talk to their clients beforehand about what the client wants to achieve in in business terms in a negotiation, but also to find out how their client, um, how the company that the client works for makes decisions how they, uh, what the timing of things are, because sometimes um, different cultures have different speeds about negotiation processes, about whether they have to keep reporting back to the home office, about whether the people at the table actually have decision-making authority. Um, These are good things for lawyers to find out from their clients beforehand, Um, and those are not particularly legal points, but they can have a huge impact on what happens at the negotiating table it's also another thing that often happens is um, we might advise a client about uh, here's what the law is for example the US law says this and this is what we do Um, but it might be useful to explain um, how this may be different from other places and have an awareness that that maybe uh, in Germany you approach it this way but in, in, in the US we approach it this way because clients are coming from their own legal system and what they know and the minute something seems different they sometimes get worried that the system, the new system they're in isn't going to cover their worries. Mm-hmm. Um, the interesting part is we often get to the same place regardless of whether you're from a civil law or a common law system, we just may have to do it slightly differently. Mm-hmm. And that's something that I try to teach lawyers to be aware of. It goes a long way in, in you know, um, reducing the anxiety of their clients. Uh, in the process of whatever's going on, whether it's a lawsuit or, or you know, a negotiation for a contractual uh, deal. Mm-hmm.
0: So, uh, legal systems or laws in different countries—would you agree if we describe those as the the um, co- codified values of of a certain culture?
1: Oh, I think you have to definitely say that because our laws and how we how we. Um, pass our laws and and what they contain absolutely reflect cultural norms and values in each society, so you will find variations i mean often there are many themes that are very similar, but we may have slight variations based on the region based on our own um, cultural understanding of certain ideas and and they are absolutely reflected in in our codes or in the laws that our legislatures pass for mm-hmm. sure
0: okay and and just as the the values in different cultures may be significantly different, uh, that will also be reflected in how law is applied in these countries and these legal systems, and, and attorneys who work across these divides need to be aware of it and need to be trained. That's what you do, right?
1: That's exactly, that's exactly uh, my focus question, yeah.
0: And if people want to learn more about this... And another part, and
1: also, you know, when you, for example, find yourself... No, I, sorry, we're having a little bit of a technical thing. I think there's a delay. Okay. No, that's um, all right. Okay. Um, you no, know, if people want to learn more about this, I mean, um, I, they're welcome to look at my website. I, I write a blog about this and, and also have a podcast, but it's something that people need to um, spend some time on. It's it's not something, like I said, that we learn in our legal practice.
0: Mm-hmm. And I, I will make a- a, I will make sure that we post a link to your it's podcast. It's something that one has to really
1: take time to learn outside of that.
0: Most certainly and and we'll make sure that we have a link to your podcast and to your website in the show notes so if you're interested in learning more how um, cultural training and consultation can help you in your legal profession or if you have been working as a client with attorneys who you found to be um, well less than ideally prepared for um, handling your situation this might be something that you want to interact with Jerry and find out how she can help you get that done now Jerry you've been living across the world you told me in an an earlier conversation you currently live in Frankfurt Germany but you've also lived in other parts of the world so you are quite the the world traveler professionally and, and personally right
1: Yeah, Christian, I mean, I I, um, grew up in the US for the first 18 years and really saw everything from that perspective, but I had the fortune to become an exchange student in Indonesia for a year uh, between high school and university, Um, spent a semester of my university in in Beijing, China, um, and then have spent time living in the meantime in the Netherlands, in Belgium, in Germany, and back and forth between the US, and all these things, I have to say, definitely affect you know, one's view of the world and one learned how to adapt in each place to different ways of seeing things and different ways of doing things.
0: Mm-hmm. So which of these experiences um, would you say shaped your your global awareness most?
1: Ah, uh, it's a tough one. I mean, I would say my first um, time as an exchange student was definitely profound because um, coming from the Midwest in the United States, and um, going literally geographically, almost as far on Earth as you could go from it to um, the central Java in Indonesia was um, so different. Um, everything smelled different, tasted different, looked different, the weather was different, um, and I was at an age where you suddenly, you, know, you find yourself very far from everything familiar, and you have to look at it all and decide for yourself, you know, um, why is this this way, and do I like this, and what do I feel about it? Um, and so from that moment on I have never missed an opportunity to travel to try something new because I, in the end I really embraced it and loved it. Mm-hmm. So and you I encourage other people to do that.
0: Oh very much so and and um, as a former exchange student myself I'm I'm a big I'm a big fan of of sending uh, teenagers or young people abroad to well, I always call it to to have their cultural blinders taken off to to see the world through a different lens. Um, and you, I, told, you you told me earlier that you you learned Indonesian while you were on on Java in in, in Central Java. You learned Mandarin while you were in Beijing. Um, which which of these foreign languages would you say is your your strongest? Um, well,
1: in the meantime, I would say it would be German because I've spent. Um, The last 20 years, more or less, um, as part of my family is German now, and also in my job I've been working and spending time in Germany, my German's probably, of all those languages, the strongest. Mm -hmm. And I have to add, harder um, than even Mandarin, if if you ask me, (laughs) to learn.
0: (laughs) Okay, (laughs) so um, it doesn't make me feel any better. (laughs) but yes I, I keep hearing that German is quite quite hard to 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 learn if even if you're from a uh, Western li- linguistic background it, it's still not easy to to get a grasp of, of German as a foreign language I, I feel for everybody who uh, tries to 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 get ahead in that and and big kudos to you for for sticking with it and actually marrying a German so you 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 went all the way right excellent <laughs> which uh, in, in which languages I are went you... all the
1: <laughs> way but but no regrets <laughs> <laughs> good in, 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 no which, regrets.
0: in which languages would you be comfortable doing your business so you can do it in English obviously in German can would you be able to conduct your business um, in other languages
1: Um, I really wouldn't feel comfortable doing it to the full extent because, no, I would say German and English are the primary languages that I would feel comfortable doing it in. Um, You know, I can definitely probably have a conversation with someone about it in Dutch um, and maybe even French, but the others, that's a special kind of, they're special terms that I just wouldn't have in those other languages.
0: Okay. So again, for those of you who want to find out, Cultural Crossing is the name of the company that Jerry started. It's uh, spelled with an X, so it's Cultural X I N G Cultural Crossing. You'll see the link in the show notes, and we'll also link to the podcast. Now, Jerry, those of you who've listened to the podcast of the previous episodes, and I know you have, um, you know, you know what's coming, right? So there's always my question around what how did you screw up when you entered a foreign culture what were some of the cultural fool moments you've experienced some of the the big missteps that you recall
1: um oh wow so many um i would say um you know one of the things um was probably um you know you assume that you understand certain things that are just kind of ba- what you think are basic um and and they're not one of my favorite ones um when i This happened later on with children. We were uh, living in Belgium, and I had actually lived in the Netherlands before, so I spoke Dutch, and the teacher wanted to offer to give us um, explanations about what my daughter needed to do for homework in English for us. And I said, oh, that's really not necessary. You know, I I speak German, I I had spent two years in the Netherlands, this would all be no problem. And she gave an assignment to my daughter, and um, it was about something having to do with fruit. And so we gave her pieces of fruit. We thought she was going to do an art project with pieces, you know, to make, like, stamps with the, f- with the fruits. Yes. And she takes it to school, and it turns out they wanted pieces cut out oh. from a newspaper. So um, it turns out that the, the terminology in Belgian Dutch, as opposed to in Dutch from the Netherlands, there, there are differences, just as there are between American Eng- U.S. American English and British English, as we all know. Mm-hmm. And... Um, so kind of assuming that you get it all, if people offer you help, I would say take it because generally they mean it well and you might learn something that you, you, you didn't really know and save yourself maybe from embarrassing your child in front of their teacher. Um.
0: <laughs> even even for an experienced adult who's been to foreign cultures, who's lived in other countries, even, even if you think you've got this down pat to a certain extent, you can still step on a dude once in a while, right?
1: Oh, for sure. There's the, that, that continues forever. So I mean the other thing is probably to you know listen more and speak less and observe a lot. Um, is always a good idea if you're not sure or even openly say, hey I'm not sure what to do right now because I'm not from here. Could you help me? Um, that also goes a long way. Just admitting that you don't know something is usually very well taken. And no one's going to be mad at you about that. You can avoid a lot of embarrassment that way.
0: Now, this is a critical point you're you're bringing up here because, in my practice, I found that this is often the hardest thing for international professionals to do—to—to to, um, admit to one's own shortcomings or to be vulnerable around admitting that. Uh, we are not perfect um, some cultures may be easier in admitting that however if you come from a western cultural context and i'm assuming uh, most of europe and north america would, would um, uh, fall into that category we oftentimes carry this uh, this body armor of our academic or educational credentials or we we want to appear um, worldly and, and professional, and we strive for this image, or may I say, illusion of being perfect. So mm-hmm. ad- admitting that it is hard for us to come to terms with the difference is not always easy, especially for grown adults who transfer between countries and cultures. Did you ever experience that firsthand when, when you, as, as, a, as an attorney, had to acknowledge in front of your peers that, hey, I don't know this, somebody help
1: me, please? Um, I did have this happen. I was working um, in, in, in in Frankfurt, Germany for a US firm, but most of my colleagues were German trained lawyers and you know, there were times where I just I didn't know what their system how their system handled something. So it would have been crazy for me to even pretend to know because I would have been exposed instantly, you know, I didn't study German law. And we would often have a situation explained maybe to a US client coming to Germany how things worked. And while my English explanation was clearly stronger than some of my colleagues, yeah, they would look to me to speak English with them, Um, I had to really make sure I understood the concept for myself. And there were times I had to admit, listen, can you explain this to me first? Because I don't wanna uh, give it on to this person in the wrong way, they're gonna misunderstand it. And um, I had no problem with that, because doing it otherwise, assuming I knew it, can get me into a lot more trouble as a legal professional to assume that, you know, or to explain it to a client in the wrong way can lead to um, bigger issues of liability and other problems which is something of course as a lawyer you want to avoid but but it's you know not always easy for people to do mm-hmm. and I can understand that but it's it's definitely worth uh, admitting it earlier in the game than later because that's that can get ugly.
0: Mm-hmm. Before I let you go I, I would like to ask you Jerry how does your national slash cultural identity change, or has it changed over the course of the years you've been living away from your native United States for so many years? How has your view of your of your homeland of your fatherland of of the united <laughs> states How has that changed if at all?
1: Oh, it's definitely changed I mean um you know i it's I would say that each place I've lived um i found something that I really liked there, maybe that was different from where I came from. And I I try to pick parts um, from each place and take them with me. Um, So, you know, maybe, for example, I've now lived in places where they have um, more, I I don't want to say national healthcare because that's not the case, but um, a more socialized uh, healthcare system in Belgium, in the Netherlands, in Germany, which um, has been very, very good for us as a family. I've seen, you know, great treatment of my kids and no worries about having healthcare. Um, that's a very nice thing to have and that's something that's starting to change in my home country um, which is neat to see or um, you know how we interact with people um, in the US of course small talk is a big part of um, how we get to meet people and where I live in, in Germany that's not the most regular way of getting to know people and having to adapt um, and, and, and not be too what they would sometimes see as superficial in my interactions um, and fortunately I can switch on and off although I will tell you small talk is still my preferred way it's what I grew up with and I feel you know very comfortable with but I know how to dial it down um, in certain contexts so that the people I'm speaking to don't feel uncomfortable and have to only adapt to my way
0: mm-hmm. are you ever finding yourself um, in com- coming to the defense of your home culture? If you live abroad, especially in, in a culture like Germany which can be very, well German people can be very opinionated and they don't hold back with what they think is is a fair assessment of how they see the world. Um, do you ever see yourself defending your home country?
1: Oh, uh, very interesting, timely question, Christian. Um, as we are, of course, in the U.S. in the middle of um, a presidential, uh, primary. well, the primaries are over, but I am constantly asked when I uh, meet people now about what's going to happen in the U.S. election Mm -hmm. um, and why why have we uh, why are certain candidates have why have they become candidates? Mm -hmm. Um, And I, you know, find myself sometimes uh, not really always able to articulate what's happening at home anymore because I don't live here all the time, you know. Um, And it can be tricky. Um, In the end, though. It's a, normal, it's a normal thing. I don't, I don't struggle with it. I, I, it's a challenge sometimes to answer the questions. Um, and I try to read a lot and keep as informed as I can. And I spend some time in the U.S. every year, um, you know, getting back in touch with what's going on here so that I don't also lose complete um, connection to my home culture because it definitely affects part of who I am. There's, you know, I'm still American even though I live in, in Europe.
0: And, and your your experience basically reflects my experience here uh, the other way around. I, I find myself <laughs> explaining to my American friends what's going on in Europe, um, and and I'm. I'm having to stay abreast with with what's going on in order to to have an educated not only opinion but but maybe some facts so uh, how how does the question of identity affect your children i know you have two teenage daughters they've been moving around the world with you as well how do they see themselves are they true third culture kids or do they do they identify as german or american or dutch how, how do your kids see this
1: Oh, I think that's a really tricky question because they're teenagers and that's still changing and and, and evolving. But I would say um, they definitely, uh, maybe they are third culture kids. I mean, they definitely identify with my home culture, with that of my my spouse. But um, also having spent a long time in Belgium, which is a place they also feel very much at home with, um, I would say one of them is more what I would call really European, not necessarily particularly German, but European. And I think the other one identifies much more strongly with the U.S. connection. Might be a split there. Well, (laughs) so, but uh, it'll change. I'm sure that'll change over the years.
0: (laughs) Well, thank goodness that they, if we train them right, if we give them the tools as parents that they need to be successful in life, uh, then they'll they'll figure it out for themselves. And you've been, you've been giving them the opportunity to experience more than one culture, so. I think we can agree that you, you're giving them a huge gift, anyway. So, how, wh- wh- whatever, whatever side of the identity aisle they fall on, it'll be all right, I guess.
1: Yeah, I feel that whatever they choose in the end will be the right choice for them, and and they have our full support to choose it, as long as they, you know, find what they like to do and in a place to live where they feel they can meet their potential. That's okay with us.
0: Jerry, one last parting thought, if if. If a corporation, if a law firm or a corporation who is about to be acquired or acquire another company in an M&A situation, if they ask you, what's the main thing I need to pay attention to when I deal with a foreign counterpart, what would be your, your one or two big nuggets you would send them away with?
1: Um, I mean the one thing is I would really encourage them not to underestimate the role that culture plays in how we see everything we do. Um, You know that culture, whether we're talking about a business situation, one should not assume that culture plays no role in that. It may not be um, the most obvious one to the parties involved, but each company that they're involved in has a culture, the people working in the company have a culture, um, and it affects how they make decisions, how they interact, if they're merging together, what's going to happen? It will affect how they work together going forward. I would just encourage them not to um, underestimate and ignore that because working on that earlier rather than later is gets you really a long way. It saves you a lot of time, a lot of money, and a lot of disappointment, potential disappointment for not having recognized it sooner. Um, the other thing I would also really encourage them um, to think about when in, 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 whether it's in a negotiation or in discussions with other people uh, about legal matters I- in whatever context is to make sure that they listen to what actually isn't being said. Not every culture is as direct and clear about what their intentions are and that doesn't mean they're sneaky or subversive. It just means that they are not as direct and they may, their, their silence on certain matters may be telling you a lot And sometimes it's really important to listen, for example, in a negotiation, what they're not talking about. Um, I would encourage people to think about that.
0: Beautiful. Jerry, thank you so much for being available for the Culture Guy podcast. I'll make sure that our listeners flock over to your podcast and get a glimpse of what you do. I look forward to meeting you in person soon. And until then, um, do the work because the world needs it. Thanks for being on.
1: Thanks, Christian. It's been a pleasure talking to you.
0: Miss Jerry Weber from St. Louis, Missouri, currently living and working in Frankfurt, Germany. And you could tell by some of the content that we talked about that this conversation was recorded before or the U.S. elections. Well busted, or not really. Uh, That just shows you that we sometimes record these interviews way in advance, and the content didn't change much because she still has to explain these things to her peers in Europe maybe more than ever. And in the background, you hear Christmas music. That is because I live in a country and a culture that is predominantly Christian and is in fact celebrating Christmas in a couple of days. If you follow other traditions then we certainly want to celebrate with you as well. Whether you are Jewish or Muslim or Hindu or agnostic I'm sure you have something to celebrate in the month of December. And since we like to give something away when we celebrate, I would like to draw your attention to our website. Just go to theculturemastery.com and click on the get started button to get you signed up for our newsletter. Return. We will send you an ebook written by our friend Andy Molinsky, a ebook on how to crack the cultural codes of countries around the world. It is free for you. Also, we would invite you to check out our blog, theculturemaster.com. There's a blog tab where you just go forward slash blog. You'll find the latest articles that we posted which should and will add value to your cross-cultural work and of course we would like to get a gift from you as well in the form of feedback so if you're listening and reading we'd love comments on the website we like emails we like voicemails we like letters believe it or not So make sure you hit the comment section on any of the blog posts you read or if you feel that this podcast is so great that you know people that need to listen to it, please by all means share it. Let people know that we are now also listed with Google Play Music in addition to our iTunes and Stitcher listing so there's no more excuse to not find us. with this i say bye bye ciao ciao i'll talk to you again after the holidays maybe even before the new year maybe slightly after the new year we'll find out in any case have a wonderful christmas time have a happy um, have a happy hanukkah celebrate kwanzaa and the culture goes out